Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our meditation this morning, taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, Christ's parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Here again, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. So far, our text. This morning, the sermon begins with a little game of role reversal. Pretend for a moment or two that you are the pastor. It's your name that's on the sign out by the road. You are in this pulpit this morning, and your neck is the one that's tattooed with a clerical collar. You are the pastor. Kind of scary, isn't it? But you are the pastor, and you've decided to preach on the gospel this morning. Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And, and so you just might have this for the title of your sermon, The Danger of Loving Money More Than God. And often this is the direction that a sermon on this text takes. Don't love money more than you love God. It is the same theme that runs through our Old Testament lesson this morning. It's the same theme that runs through the epistle lesson as well. Plus, certainly, it's a theme that needs to be heard by our materialistic culture. So, yes, you could craft a mighty fine sermon with this don't love money more than God text, a real pulpit prize winner. But... And remember, you are the pastor, so perhaps you might want to take this text in a different direction altogether. And maybe you're in the mood for a good old-fashioned fire and brimstone sermon, a real wall shaker. Can I get an amen, brothers and sisters? Amen. Kind of weak. Amen. Not bad. After all, Jesus does talk about the stark reality of eternal damnation in this parable. You could use the fires of hell to scare some souls into heaven and show those Pentecostal preachers a thing or two in the process. But you are a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor, aren't you? So you just can't tell people that they're sinners and leave them roasting on the spit. You can't just scare the hell out of them and say, Amen. No. You have to give them good news. You also have to give them the gospel. You have to reveal the remedy for their sins and the way out of hell. You have to preach grace. You have to preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. What is it in there? Is that wonderful gospel message in this parable? God's love, God's forgiveness, God's grace, salvation by grace through faith in Christ. That's the real question. Let's see if we can find it together. 2,000 years ago when Jesus cooked up this parable, I guarantee you that it blew his listeners away. 
especially since some of those listeners were wealthy Pharisees and wealthy tax collectors. A rich man and a poor man both die. The rich man goes to hell? The poor man, the beggar, goes to heaven? That is not what the people in Jesus' day expected to hear because the Jews believed that the wealthy were shoe-ins to make it through the pearly gates. Having lots of money was seen as God's stamp of approval on one's spiritual life. The more God likes you, the more stuff God gives you kind of theology. But on the other side of the coin... A man like sick and homeless and bankrupt Lazarus was seen as being on the fast track to hell. He has no earthly blessings to speak of. And in the Jewish way of thinking, Lazarus, or maybe his father, or maybe his grandfather, or maybe his great-grandfather must have sinned horribly against God, and God was giving him and his family now their just desserts. But look at what Jesus does in the parable. It's masterful. Jesus turns the whole Jewish salvation presupposition inside out and upside down. The rich man goes to the hot place. And the beggar man goes to paradise. And the folks listening to Jesus that day, well, they are flabbergasted. Because they'd never heard this before. It didn't add up. It's unexpected. In their minds, Lazarus does not deserve the prize that God gives him. And there it is. Hold on to your hats. Hold on to your pews. All of a sudden, there's been a grace sighting. There's been a gospel sighting in this parable for the good news of God's salvation, don't you know, is always unexpected. And it's always undeserved. Several years ago, it was just a typical day on the job for 20-year-old Jessica Osborne, a Pizza Hut waitress in Angola, Indiana. But all that changed as Jessica was clearing a table and noticed an envelope on that table with her name on it. It was a tip from her previous customer. It was a check for $10,000. It turns out the generous customer had heard about Jessica's struggle to find financial aid to attend college. It was generosity in its purest and most undiluted form, completely unexpected, completely undeserved. That's what God's salvation is like. That's what God's grace is like, unexpected, undeserved. And maybe that's what you need to find in the envelope of your heart as you sit in God's house this morning. Because maybe you woke up and you don't feel that good about yourself. Maybe you've looked back on your life and all you see are the mistakes that you've made or the hurts that you have caused, or the hurts that you have endured, or the times that you've blown it, the times that you let yourself down, or others down, or God down. Maybe you feel there's no way that God could ever accept you, or put his arms around you, or call you his friend. Maybe on this day you feel like a spiritual lowlife, a spiritual nobody, a spiritual beggar. 
and if this does indeed describe you, then let me introduce you to another beggar, a man named Lazarus. Poorer than poor, yes, that's true. But also a man who had something the rich man did not have. Something all of the rich man's wealth could never buy. Lazarus had faith in his God. I told you this parable was masterful. Do you see the delicious irony that Jesus weaves into the words here? Lazarus doesn't have a penny to his name, but still he possesses the one thing the rich man lacks, faith, which in the end turns out to be the only thing that matters. Lazarus is loved by God, and he knows it. Doesn't matter that society has rejected him. Doesn't matter whatever his past was. Doesn't matter the mistakes he made, the hurts he caused or received in his life. Doesn't matter how many people he let down over the years, including himself. Lazarus is loved by his God. He's forgiven. He knows it. He's blessed. Even amid his horrible circumstances, he's heaven-bound. God loves Lazarus. He has faith. He knows it. Can you relate to this? All right. Since you are the pastor today, there's one more teaching that you need to Velcro to the, your sermon. God's grace, unexpected, yes, undeserved, true. Faith is what latches on to God's grace and makes it your own, just as with Lazarus. But where does that kind of faith come from? Real faith, real trust, real relationship with God. Where does faith come from? How does faith happen? You know, the only good thing that you can really say about the rich man in our text is that he loves his family. He cares about his five brothers, doesn't he? And the rich man looks up to heaven and he sees Abraham with Lazarus and he says, Abraham, I'm burning up down here like a steak on a grill. I don't want my family to end up like me. Send a resurrected Lazarus to my brothers. They will listen to him. All right, little time out. Little aside here, okay? Remember two weeks ago when we learned that there's no music in hell? Those two passages from Psalms, no music in hell. Today we learned there's no air conditioning in hell either. Guess what? In hell, it's as hot as hell. And this morning, we also learned that it's quite possible that those in hell are able to see what's going on in heaven like a one-way mirror, which makes perfect sense to me, for one of the ways to make hell even worse is if hell's residents can see what's going on up there. And lastly, isn't it interesting that those in hell have no doubt that God has the power to raise the dead? I love this parable. But, okay, don't get sidetracked, you preachers. A lot of good sermons have died via sidetracking. Let's get back to work. How does Abraham answer the rich man's request? Dude, he says, a resurrected Lazarus will not cause your brothers to believe in God. They already have everything they need to possess a Lazarus-like faith of their own. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the written word of God. 
And so the Apostle Paul would one day write in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Where does faith come from? Jesus says it doesn't come from seeing a miracle. Neither does faith come from an emotional experience or feelings. Faith can produce feelings, but feelings can never produce faith. Faith doesn't come from your own intellect either, your own brain power, your own IQ. Faith doesn't come from being mindful, whatever that means uh, these days, or being part of the latest spiritual fad or gimmick. No. Paul knows, Paul knows, faith comes from hearing the Word of God. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. When you read or listen or ponder it or sing it, the Holy Spirit rides God's Word into your heart and He changes you. i got to say that again. The Holy Spirit rides God's Word into your heart and He changes you. So two things. One, if you want your Christian faith to continue to grow, you have to feed it with God's Word every day, even if it's only a two-minute devotion, even if it's only a minute or two with the Bible open in your hands or on your screen. Feed your faith. Do it. And two, like the rich man in the parable, if you're worried about people in your life whom you love and you know don't have faith in Jesus, pray for them. Absolutely pray for them. Tell them that you're worried about them because you would like to see them in heaven one day. Do that. But then you also have to scheme a little bit and plan a little bit and plot a little bit of a way to get God's word into their ears so it can take root in their hearts. And maybe that word will come from your mouth. Or maybe it'll come from the mouth of a preacher. Bring them to church. Drag them to church when they visit you. Or send them a portals of prayer. Or text them your favorite Bible verse uh, every other day. Or play Christian music in your car when you pick them up from the airport. Whatever. Whatever it takes to cover them with the Word of God because that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where the power is. That's where faith begins. You know, you folks have preached a pretty good sermon this morning. But a good preacher always sums things up. So God's grace, always unexpected and undeserved. Faith means knowing you're loved and forgiven by God, no matter your past or present circumstances. And the faith that connects you to God's grace, God's love, comes only through the word of God. Nice job with this sermon. Proud of you. Amen. And the peace in Christ that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And peace from God, our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our meditation today from Luke's Gospel, chapter 16 Listen again to verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. So far, our text. 
This morning the sermon begins with a little game of role reversal. I want you to pretend for a moment or two that you are the pastor. Your name is on the sign out by the road. You are standing in this pulpit this morning. In fact, your neck is the one tattooed with a clerical collar. You are the pastor. Kind of scary, isn't it? But you're the pastor, and you have decided to preach on the gospel lesson today. What will you say? What will the subject of your homily be? Well, let's see now what do we have here. Luke chapter 16, Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So you just might, might want to have this title for your sermon, The Danger of Loving Money More Than God. And often this is the direction that a sermon on this text will take. Don't love money more than God. And the same theme ran through the Old Testament lesson this morning. The same theme ran through the epistle lesson this morning. And it's certainly something that our materialistic culture needs to hear as well. Oh yeah, you could craft a mighty, nine, a mighty nice sermon on this don't love money more than God text. It would be a pulpit prize winner. But, remember, you are the pastor, so maybe you might want to take this text in a different direction. In fact, maybe you're in the mood for a good old-fashioned fire and brimstone sermon, a real wall shaker. Can I get an amen, brothers and sisters? Amen. One more time, amen, hallelujah. After all, Jesus does talk about the stark reality of eternal damnation in his parable, and you could use the fires of hell in order to scare some souls into heaven and show all those Pentecostal preachers a thing or two. But you are a Missouri City Lutheran pastor, aren't you? So you just can't tell people that they're sinners and leave them roasting on a spit. You just can't scare the hell out of folks and say, Amen. No, you must give them good news. You also have to give them the gospel. You also have to reveal the remedy for their sins and a way out of hell. You have to preach grace. You have to preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. But are those things in this parable this morning? Is God's love there, God's forgiveness, God's grace, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Important question. Let's see if we can find those things together. 2,000 years ago when Jesus cooked up this parable, I guarantee you that it blew his listeners away, especially since some of those listeners were wealthy Pharisees and wealthy tax collectors. A rich man and a poor man both die. The rich man goes to hell? The poor man goes to heaven? Well, that's not what people in Jesus' day expected to hear at all. Because the Jews believed that the wealthy were shoe-ins to reach the pearly gates. 
Having lots of money was seen as God's stamp of approval on one's spiritual life. The more God likes you, the more stuff God gives you kind of theology. But on the other side of the coin, a man like sick and homeless and bankrupt Lazarus was seen as being on the fast track to hell. I mean, he has no earthly blessings uh, to his credit. In the Jewish way of thinking, Lazarus, or maybe his father, or maybe his grandfather, or maybe his great-grandfather must have sinned horribly against God at some point, and now God was giving Lazarus and his family uh, their just desserts. But look at what Jesus does in the parable. It's masterful. Jesus turns the whole Jewish salvation presupposition inside out and upside down. The rich man goes to the hot place. The poor beggar man goes to paradise. And the folks listening to Jesus on that day, they're flabbergasted. They've never heard this before because in their minds it doesn't add up. It's unexpected. Lazarus did not, they thought, deserve the prize that God gave him. There it is. Hold on to your hats. Hold on to your pews. All of a sudden, there's a grace sighting in the parable. Uh-oh, don't look now. There's a gospel sighting because the good news of God's salvation is always unexpected. And it's always undeserved. Several years ago, it was just a typical day on the job for 20-year-old Jessica Osborne, a Pizza Hut waitress in Angola, Indiana. But all that changed as Jessica was clearing a table, and she noticed an envelope on the table with her name on it. It was her tip from the previous customer. It was a check for $10,000. It turns out the generous customer had heard about Jessica's struggle to find enough financial aid to attend college. It was generosity in its purest and most undiluted form, completely unexpected, completely undeserved. That's what God's salvation is like. That's what God's grace is like, unexpected, undeserved. And, and, and maybe that's exactly what you need to find in the envelope of your heart on this Sunday morning. Because maybe you woke up today and you didn't really feel that good about yourself. And maybe you look back on your life and all you see are the mistakes that you've made or the hurts that you've caused, or the hurts that you have received, or all the times you've blown it, all the times you've let other people down, and you've let yourself down, and you've let God down too, and maybe you feel there's no way God could ever accept you. No way God could ever wrap his arms around you. No way God could ever call you his friend. Maybe today you feel like a spiritual lowlife, or a spiritual nobody or a spiritual beggar. And if this does describe you, then let me tell you about another beggar, a man named Lazarus. Yes, poorer than poor, that's true. But also, someone who had something the rich man did not have, something the rich man's wealth could never come close to buying Lazarus, had faith 
in his God. I told you this parable was masterful. Do you see the delicious irony that Jesus weaves into the words here? Lazarus doesn't have a penny to his name, but he still possesses what the rich man lacks, faith, which in the end turns out to be the only thing that matters. Lazarus is loved by God. Doesn't matter that society has rejected him. Doesn't matter what his past was. Doesn't matter what mistakes he made, what hurts he caused or received. Doesn't matter how many people uh, he let down over the years, including himself. Lazarus is loved by God. He's forgiven. He's blessed by God, even in his horrible circumstances. He's heaven-bound. God loves Lazarus, and Lazarus knows it. That's faith. Can you relate to this? All right, you're still the pastor this morning, and there's still one more teaching that you need to Velcro to your sermon. God's grace is unexpected. His grace is undeserved. Faith is what latches on to God's grace and makes it your very own, just like Lazarus discovered. But where does faith come from? I mean, real faith, real trust, a real relationship uh, with God. Where does faith come from? How does faith happen? You know, the only good thing that you can say about the rich man in our text is that he loves his family. I mean, he cares about his five brothers. And the rich man, he looks up to heaven, and he sees Abraham with Lazarus, and he says, Abraham, I'm burning up down here like a steak on a grill. I don't want my family to end up like me. Send a resurrected Lazarus to my brothers. They will believe him. All right, little time out now in the sermon, a little aside, okay? You know, two weeks ago, we learned that Hell has no music. Okay, those two passages from the Psalms, all right? Today we learn that there's no air conditioning in hell either. Believe it or not, hell will be as hot as hell. Okay, today we learn that it's quite possible that those in hell will be able to see what's going on in heaven, like a one-way mirror, which makes perfect sense to me because, you know, for one of the ways, if you're going to make hell even worse than it is, the residents would be able to see what's going on in heaven. And lastly, isn't it interesting that those in hell have no doubt that God has the power to raise the dead? Love this parable. Okay, but don't get sidetracked in your preaching. A lot of sermons have died that way, okay? So let's bring her back. Okay, let's go back to work. How does Abraham answer the rich man's request? Dude, he says, a resurrected Lazarus will not cause your brothers to believe in God. They already have everything they need to possess Lazarus-like faith of their own. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. And so the Apostle Paul one day would write in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Where does faith come from? Jesus in his parable says it doesn't come from seeing a miracle. Neither does faith come from emotional experience or feelings. 
Faith can produce feelings, but feelings never produces faith. Faith doesn't come from your own intellect either, your own brain power, your IQ. Faith doesn't come from being mindful, whatever that means these days, or being part of the latest spiritual fad or gimmick. No, Paul knows faith comes from hearing the word of God. That's how the Holy Spirit works. When you read or listen or sing or ponder God's word, the Holy Spirit rides into your heart and changes you. I'm going to say that again. Okay, the Holy Spirit rides God's word into your heart and changes you. Two things. One, if you want your Christian faith to grow, you must feed your faith with God's word every day. Even if it's only a two-minute devotion or, or a couple of minutes with the Bible open or, or the words on your screen. Okay, feed your faith every day. And two... If you're like the rich man in the parable and you're worried about people in your life whom you love because they don't know Jesus, pray for them. Okay, absolutely. Pray for them every day. Tell them that you're worried about them and you want to see them in heaven someday. Okay, do that. But then you have to scheme a little bit and plan a little bit and plot a little bit to get God's word into their ears so it winds up in their hearts. And maybe God's word comes from your mouth as you tell them and find the courage to tell them about Jesus. Or maybe it comes from the mouth of a pastor and so drag them to church however, however you can. Okay? Or maybe uh, you send them uh, portals of prayer devotional or you text them your favorite Bible verse every other day or you play Christian music in your car when you pick them up from the airport. Whatever. Whatever it takes to cover them with the Word of God because that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's where the power is. That's where faith begins. Alright. You've preached a pretty good sermon so far today. But good preachers always sum things up. God's grace, unexpected and undeserved. Faith means knowing that you're loved and forgiven by God, no matter your past or present circumstances. And the faith that connects you to God's grace and every single one of God's goodies comes only through the word of God. Nice job with the sermon. Proud of you. Amen. And the peace in Christ that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.